นโมทัสสะกูวะตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกูวะตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกูวะตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะพุทธังนมังสังฆังนมัสสะThis being the first Sunday of the month of June, it's an occasion to consider together the Dhamma teaching on our Forest Sangha calendar page. The quote from Ajahn Chah on there, as usual for this year, but also a very nice. A photograph, which I was looking at earlier, of uh, Ajahn Kevali, the abbot of Wat Banana Chat, and a group of young monks and novices at a temple there called the Ntai. It's a Wat Tam Sang Pet, or the Temple of the Cave of Diamond Light, and it was one of Ajahn Chah's favourite monasteries and very beautiful location. And But one of the things that struck me, looking at the photograph, there was the scruffy-looking electric cables dangling down the side, and maybe you didn't notice it because the handsome big Buddha is there, and the diligent young monks. Maybe that's the focus of the the photo, but. Uh, I did notice how, uh, if you look closer, it all looks rather untidy, and I, I must say I found that quite refreshing. I, I've noticed over the, the the years or the last few decades, actually, how uh, Buddhism has not just become more tolerated, but has become uh, rather uh, rather cool, and the graphic designers have. Been very busy producing these exquisite photographs of of beautifully photoshopped Buddha images and saffron-clad monks at, in Cambodia, or the burgundy-clad little novices running around stupas in Burma, and all of this uh, glossy presentation. As the years have gone by, it's you know, Really started to stand out as as a, a really a misrepresentation of the Buddha's teachings. Now, in fact, the Dhamma verse on that page there, Ajahn Chah's teaching, talks about acceptance, relinquishment, letting go. This is the way of lightness, and if you cling to anything, there'll be suffering. Or well, at least paraphrasing. Somewhat, what he said there. The message is: clinging to anything spoils things. A lot of the popular presentation of Buddhism these days does seem to m 
miss the point. And Ajahn Chah in, in that teaching is really highlighting that acceptance, relinquishment, letting go, and this is the point, and having to have everything tidy and convenient and beautiful is not the point. Uh, those of you that have uh, read some of the traditional scriptures and maybe come across the some of the verses in the Terra guitar or the Terry guitar where the, uh, the disciples of the Buddha and the monks and the nuns describe uh, very eloquently the the beauty of sitting in a bamboo grove at dawn and in serenity and as the sun rises and but then they go on to talk about the superior beauty of a heart that is released from all need to have everything beautiful and lovely. So this short teaching from Ajahn Chah, if you cling to anything, there will be suffering. And maybe we maybe we feel like we've heard this many times before, and probably we have sort of heard it many times before. But let's check to see have we really heard it. Or as Ajahn Chah uh, would like to say and have you heard what's being said beyond the words? Yeah. Do we hear the words or do we hear the message? The words are definitely got a function. Words are really important. But words, like all forms, are approximations. And temples are approximations. Buddha images are approximations. The Buddha image, this beautiful Buddha image that we have here, this is not the Buddha. This is an approximation of the Buddha and it serves a very useful purpose and it reminds us of something truly precious. You know, you know, like the realization of unshakable wisdom and perfect selfless compassion is possible for human beings. Now, that is something we you know, very helpful to be reminded of that. And But we don't want to believe too much in the approximation. We don't want to really believe that's the actual Buddha. It's definitely not the actual Buddha. Somebody could come and steal it and it wouldn't make any difference you know, to the actual Buddha. would be disappointed. But the Buddha wouldn't be disappointed. So our relationship to these approximations is something that it's always useful, I think, to you know, to regularly check are we really hearing the message or is our hearing and our seeing falling short of the message and settling on the form you know, the words of, of like the word acceptance the word relinquishment the word letting go what are these words really referring to do we really know acceptance that quality of acceptance that means there is absolutely no resistance, that the whole body-mind is so free from any obstruction that whatever the experience is that's arising in consciousness 
completely passes through us is complete relinquishment, complete letting go. No obstruction. So do we really know what that is? Or are we hearing the words? Acceptance is a nice word, acceptance. Um, relinquishment, a slightly strange word. Uh, relinquishment and letting go. We've heard that endless number of times. So it's useful to stop and regularly check to see where we're at with these conventions, these approximations, to see that we're not projecting too much onto them. Now, we can become overly idealistic and, and iconoclastic and try and do away with all religious conventions and imagery and, and symbols, but if you're going to follow that path, well, you're going to have to stop talking as well. Words are symbols. Like you know, the word dangerous. If you don't speak English, the word dangerous is just a noise. It doesn't really mean anything. Dangerous. If you, you know, if you somebody only speaks Russian, the word dangerous. Goodness knows what it sounds like. Or safe. What does the word safe mean? Even if you do speak some English, but not much, maybe you think the word safe means a metal box with a key. The word safe in itself is a representation. It's an approximation. It can mean a metal box, but also, perhaps more importantly, means a feeling. So we need these approximations, but we also need to be careful how we use them, otherwise we can be fooled and project too much onto them. And this this happens all the time. So to be able to to be willing and to be able to question how we use approximations, particularly in this context, on this occasion, uh, spiritual teachings, these approximations of the way, approximations of the training, The words acceptance, relinquishment, letting go, that's not the training. Those are words pointing to an activity within consciousness. Acceptance and resistance are very different phenomena and it's tremendously important that we really look into, really feel into really inquire into what's being referred to. Not just to pass over and say, oh, acceptance, relinquishment, letting go, this is the way of lightness, this is clinging and you're going to suffer. Okay, been there, done that. That's another way of actually misrepresenting the Buddha's teachings. Graphic designers and compulsive photoshoppers they do their job on Buddhism, but, but we can also, in our own way, if we're not cautious and discerning enough, not willing and able to inquire. So inquiry is a essential aspect of this discipline, this training, this teaching. 
in Pali, the Pali language, the Theravadan tradition, which is Dhamma Vichaya, uh, inquiry into reality. Dhamma, reality, Vichaya, inquiry, investigation. Yeah, it's something, one of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's an essential tool, an essential tool in our spiritual toolkit. There's all sorts of tools we could have in there. Some of them are more important than others, and some are absolutely essential. The willingness and the ability to question in the right way in the right time. In this particular contemplation, how are we using these approximations? How are we allowing our perceptions to settle on the forms, the most obvious outer level, which we're all used to, you know, being conditioned and materialistic perceptions, that's what we tend to notice. Uh, how beautiful is the photograph? Uh, how lovely is that monk's robes? Fortunately, in our tradition, we don't tend to attract a lot of photographers. <laughs> We're not as photogenic as charming little novices running around stupas in Burma. We're a bit of a scruffy bunch. Does it really matter? Not ultimately. We need to be willing and able to see beyond the way things appear to be. And the same principle applies to the experiences we have. Just because we have an experience of great happiness and joy in meditation, does that mean that's something that we should hang on to? It can look like that. It can feel like that from a mind that's not able to see beyond the way things appear to be. And that's the way we're certainly conditioned. Or because something is really, really difficult, really hard work, really challenging. Does that mean to say it's something going wrong? The training does require that we change our perceptions and and look deeper, feel deeper, feel beyond the way we've been conditioned to see and feel and think. You know, the willingness to question you know, this tamawichaya. Some of you will have be familiar with the teachings of the Advaita Vedanta teacher Sri Ramana Maharshi, and I remember reading where he spoke about this at one stage and talked about how occasionally he would teach uh, the bhakti vehicle, uh, the path of devotion. But he referred to the Buddha's teaching, said the Buddha, well, he was completely uncompromising. He only taught Dhammavichaya. And in Sri Ramana Maharshi's view, uh, he said Dhammavichaya is the vehicle of this age. This is, this is the vehicle that we use to free ourselves from being enslaved by ignorance. But it takes a a disciplined, careful, skillful willingness to learn how to inquire. Mm. So as to be able to, for instance, use these teachings, to use the conventions of the tradition we've inherited, to use the scriptures, to not just become enslaved by them, are not willing and able to question in the right way, then we project too much authority. 
we can become some sort of born again Buddhist and raving on about you know, we belong to the best tradition or if you don't follow this technique or or this teaching then then you you're not on the proper path and, and certainly I've heard plenty of that I expect probably some of you will have as well and there are plenty of folk around for whom they don't necessarily pay due attention to this need to question not compulsively question but reflective questioning there can be a sort of reactive approach like I was referring earlier to iconoclasts who maybe they had a inadequate introduction to the spiritual life and so they react and go in the opposite direction and decide that all religions, all monks, all nuns, all traditions, all rituals are all hogwash. Get rid of it all. That's that's not inquiry, that's reaction, that's not wise reflection. And, but there are there is a real need to learn how to use, as I was saying before, these these tools in our spiritual toolkit. And this is one that's essential. The other essential ones, which I often speak about, are mindfulness and sense restraint. Sati and Indriya Sangwara. These, particularly these three, mindfulness, sense restraint, wise reflection, these capacities that we have as human beings equip us with distinct skills. And as with any other distinct skill, it requires first an appreciation of the, the validity of cultivating and then the investment, the, the investment of time and energy and attention, skill of playing a musical instrument. Or occasionally you find, yeah, there are people who just happen to get born with with uh, unique abilities. Yehudi Menuhin was a child prodigy, but he still needed a lot of discipline, a lot of practice. And, and so it is with these essential potentials that we have. We have the ability to see, hear, and smell, taste, and touch, and think. We all can do that, but if we're awake to the spiritual possibility, then we realize we have these inner potentials that really require a unique quality of attention. And if we don't, well, then we, we simply don't have access to them. Yeah, so it, it happens not really. People will go on meditation retreats or embark on this and embrace the spiritual disciplines and, and sometimes have really profound, powerful, world-shattering experiences. However, they don't manage to integrate those experiences, those shifts that can take place, because they're not properly prepared with these abilities, you know, mindfulness, sensory straight and wise reflection. If we have these down, well, then it's, 
It's like having good eyesight or good hearing or, or a good, well-trained mind. We, we live much better. You know, being deaf and blind and not being able to think straight is definitely a disadvantage in living life. Likewise, it's definitely a disadvantage if we haven't recognized the place of, the validity of, and, and cultivated the mindfulness, sense restraint, and wise reflection. Really, what is mindfulness? It's not just a, a course that you go on because it's something that you do these days. What is mindfulness really as a whole body-mind experience, as a capacity to be really that. What was the word of talking about? You know? He likened it to being the gatekeeper at the city wall, watching who comes in and who goes out. That watchfulness. What does that feel like when there is watchfulness, well-developed watchfulness? What ability does that give us, for instance, to cope with the vicissitudes of life? If we're mindful... This is possible. If we're not mindful, that's not possible. Or sense restraint. What's the difference between sense restraint and, and blind reactive repression? If we haven't received the education, we haven't looked into it, haven't investigated it, maybe we don't have the subtlety of perception to know that there is a, a profound difference between blind conditioned repression and sense restraint. Sense restraint respects the passion, respects the energy, appreciates the potential of our heart energy and also appreciates the need to contain it. If we haven't recognised how essential it is to contain the heart's exuberance, then we get dragged around by it. It's like having a, having a really good car, but with no brakes. might be a really beautifully designed car. Super eco-friendly car. It's got everything going for it, but no brakes. That's pretty useless, really, isn't it? That's actually really pretty useless. If a car doesn't have brakes, you, you can't, certainly can't use it on the journey. And likewise, in the spiritual journey... If we don't understand and don't have some reasonably well-developed sense restraint, then we can't get very far. As soon as intensity builds up, the intensity that, again, is essential for transformation, as soon as intensity starts to build up, and we're really vulnerable. Heedless habits can, become, can kidnap the heart's conditioned tendencies and they get dragged around by them, get, can get deeply hurt. So realize there's a big difference between blind, heedless repression, which is denial, uh, performed out of fear, or just some conditioned reaction, whereas sense restraint is born out of wise reflection, out of a recognition of potential. And appreciating how the cultivation of these skills, these potentials, does take time. If we're not careful, assume that just because we have a, a handle on the concept, for instance, of acceptance, relinquishment, letting go, 
cleaning causes suffering. We can assume that we really understand it. That's that's not it again. We need to we need to get more subtle. We need to look more deeply, feel more deeply. Likewise, with the, an appreciation of the potential benefit of mindfulness, sensory strength, wise reflection. That sounds a really good idea. Yeah, I can go along with that. But that doesn't mean to say that we have those abilities. You know, just like growing up physically, we don't jump from being seven years old to 27 years old. There's a world of difference between the ability of a seven-year-old and the ability of a 27-year-old. But you don't really see that ability emerging. There may be little momentary leaps during that process, but growing is gradual, at least growing that's harmonious. Shifts or changes that are dramatic are usually not particularly harmonious, but gradual change and development and growth is quite often imperceptible. So these abilities, these skills, we, part of the cultivation is appreciating it takes time. And the way our minds work, we're very fast, particularly more these days than perhaps ever before. We're, we're not out there according with the seasons and ploughing the fields and planting seeds and tending them and watching them grow and harvesting them and storing them and, and nourishing ourselves. We just, you go online and order something from the supermarket and wait for it to be delivered. And the quicker it happens, the better. Click, click, click. That kind of consciousness, if we bring that to the spiritual exercises, we can end up getting very disappointed and misperceive again. You know, Where's the results? Why am I not getting results? Well, it doesn't work like that. We had a young monk living here some years ago who was particularly able on computers, impressively so. He had uh, some medical conditions, so a friend of the monastery who's an acupuncturist was visiting, and they had a conversation and agreed that uh, he would put some needles in this fellow and see if it helped, and so he had him lie down and put in a whole bunch of needles and suitable points and, and then went away and you know, came back in 40 minutes and <laughs> this guy was walking around the room just doing stuff with all these needles sticking out of him. <laughs> and the actuary said, what, what are you doing? You know, I asked you to lie. He said, oh, I didn't get any result. <laughs> well, acupuncture doesn't work like that. It's not like click, you know. <laughs> get a result we've got to be willing to question our assumptions about reality and our assumptions and projections that we make and something like training ourselves with regards to these uh, spiritual tools uh, mindfulness sense restraint wise reflection month after month year after year Lifetime after lifetime. As far as I'm concerned, I I definitely go along with that. And if we can accommodate that view rather than the conditioned materialistic approach, then it does change 
how we respond to life. Earlier today I was uh, had a conversation with a long-time friend of the monastery and he was saying how these days uh, the rate of change is taking place in society, particularly because of technology and the industries uh, emerging and that the expectations that we might have had 20 years ago just simply don't apply anymore. Uh, Over the last few decades, the rate of change has been accelerating an extraordinary rate. I'm sure we're all aware of that. Part of the consequence of that is uh, a lot of people suffering great anxiety and and confusion. Where does that confusion come from? Reality is always being reality. Reality is always like this. This is always reality. So we can't say there's anything wrong with reality. We can say that reality is challenging or we find reality disagreeable. How do we accord with reality? How are we able to live with the reality of the moment that we find ourselves in? Well, again, that's why these spiritual faculties like mindfulness, sense, restraint, wise reflection, why they're so essential so that we can engage this predicament. If we don't have sense restraint, it's not just that we're going to be busy eating stuff and listening to stuff and and addicted to holidays and and gadgets. It's it's also what's happening on the, the, the mind. We can't stop thinking. A lot of the apparently intractable so-called problems that we are challenged with these days, I'm sure we'd all agree, require a new approach. We're now faced with a complexity of issues, interconnected issues, so complex, never before have human beings encountered such a complexity. Certainly it's obvious, just looking at technology itself, the the number of gadgets, the the rate at which gadgets require updating and replacing. Ecologically, well, somebody else was telling me recently about the the state of bees, and you might be aware of why America is having to import their bees from Australia, because the the bee population has collapsed. Well, not just America, but I think in Germany, it was like 50% of the bee population has disappeared. There's all sorts of theories about it. Is it the pesticides? Is it the, the mobile telephones? Is it the environment that's changed? Is it a combination of all these elements? Uh, or the state of the oceans? Maybe you saw in the news this morning that whale that died in an estuary in the south of Thailand and they found 80 plastic bags in its stomach and killed it. These are just a few of the examples of never-before-encountered complexity. If we can't stop thinking, it drive you crazy. But if we can stop thinking, if we can abide in an expanded receptive 
interested, open-hearted way, maybe we can listen to what our intuition is telling us. Intuition is not linear, logical, conceptual process. And of course, there's naive intuition, which can get us into a lot of trouble, and it can be quite embarrassing if we identify with that. But being identified as the conceptual mind, which so many of us are so much of the time, leaves us really vulnerable. The complexity of the world is such that either we have to close down and pretend it's not happening, get frustrated and despairing, or train our faculties to be able to open up and trust. Trust in our good intentions, our wholesome intentions, our wholesome aspirations. How can we honour the heart's aspirations to be loving, to be kind, to be sensitive, to be tolerant? Our aspirations to cultivate clear seeing, true understanding that accords with reality. How can we honour these impulses at the same time as see what's going on in Italy? or Spain, or Syria, or London. (laughs) Anywhere you look at the moment, it's, it's very easy to feel pulled down if we haven't prepared ourselves. So, as I started off by saying, it's really always useful to check whatever stage of practice we're at, whatever stage on the spiritual journey we might find ourselves in, how are we handling these approximations, whether it's the traditional structures that we've inherited, like Buddha images and religious conventions and monks and nuns and meditation techniques, that level of approximation, or whether it's concepts, which is particularly important, Whereas symbols and rituals were perhaps more important in in different societies at a different time, certainly given the conditioning that most of us have been through, we we really love thinking, we love our ideas, we love understanding stuff. But is that a wise relationship to concepts, to approximations? There are some really valuable approximations for which we can feel truly grateful, like the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths. It's a convention, it's an approximation, the Four Noble Truths. If we didn't have that, I mean, suffering is generally something we want to just get rid of, get away from. What the Buddha was pointing out was, no, this is not something you want to get rid of or get away from. This is a message. This is something when we're we're feeling frustrated, when we encounter the experience of limitation, in whatever form, in mild disappointment or serious grief or intense despair, subtle or mediocre or or monumental, whatever level of limitation we encounter, it's a message. It's a message. 
Just like if we kick something, we didn't feel pain and we didn't stop to look to see whether we've injured ourselves, we risk serious infection. Get infected, gangrene, take over and you've got to cut your leg off. Be a great pity. But thankfully we get pain and pain says pay attention here. That's the message. We pay attention so we can look after the wound, don't get infected, don't get gangrene, don't lose our leg. That's good. That's really good. Well, likewise on the heart level, the Buddha's wisdom fortunately has pointed out to us that when there is the experience of limitation, frustration, disappointment, despair, suffering, gross or very minor, it's a message. and We need to develop the skills of mindfulness, sensory straight, wise reflection, to be able to ask the right question at the right time in the right way. Say, what's going on here? What is this teaching me? What is this message? Why do we think it is that there's so much affluence, so much opportunity, so much goodness in humanity and in our world, and yet there's so much intense confusion? Why, why would that be? Why could that be? Because, surely, there's a lack of understanding. We, we're not getting the message. Our lives get far too complicated, too confused, too distracted. We misperceive situations over and over again and don't get the message. And we act on the basis of false assumptions. So there are really, really useful approximations, conventions, really helpful ones that can steward us in in a really creative, helpful direction, bringing real benefit to ourselves and to others. And there are really unhelpful approximations, stories that we've been taught that are life-denying. And if we were taught them, Early, early enough on in life, then they're very difficult to dislodge. Like, like, for instance, this concept of eternal hell that's quite popular in our world. What a utterly insane story. How could anything or any place or any experience be eternal? You know, if something is born, that means it had a beginning, which... I mean, there is no logic, there's no way of saying that something that began is eternal. And yet you can infect people with this wrong thinking very early on in life and, and then they can spend the rest of their life living in fear and terror of something that's complete fabrication. It's a mental construct, it's a convention, it's an approximation, but it's a really unhelpful one. So how do we tell which ones are helpful and which ones are not helpful, which ones bring benefit to ourselves and which ones bring benefit to others. We need to learn to be able to question in the right way at the right time, to check, to see. Are we believing in the way things appear to be and then projecting onto the world or are we getting the message are we able to hear and see and feel beyond the way things appear to be? Which means living with a lot of uncertainty. Which means being willing and able to sit there in open-hearted, sensitive awareness and acknowledge, 
I really don't know how to deal with this situation. I really can't, no matter how hard I try, imagine a solution to this complexity. And that's okay. But I can't imagine that. And this is where we're so fortunate, the example of our elders, our wise elders who have shown us that it's possible to not assume the way things appear to be is the way things actually are. You know, like many of you are familiar with the Ajahn Chah's teachings and how fortunate we are to have received these teachings from him and right to the point where he was losing his faculties and yet he was still talking about what was going on. He was talking about how his brain wasn't working anymore. But he was, he was okay. He wasn't making a problem out of it. It's falling apart. You know, when I lived with uh, Ajahn Tate, another great teacher in Thailand, and living with him, he had leukemia. I never once saw Ajahn Tate upset about anything. These people have cultivated their faculties to be able to see more deeply, to be able to see with wisdom, to be able to see beyond the way things merely appear to be. So they didn't project onto conditions. They didn't project onto the world, so they were never disappointed by the world. They were never infatuated with the world either. Well, when they were young, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were just as confused and as other people. But because they picked up the teachings and applied them in the way that the Buddha intended really made the effort to inquire, to hear what is the Buddha talking about when he refers to clinging. If you cling to anything, then there will be suffering. What is clinging, actually? Not just as a concept, clinging, or upadana, if you're speaking Pali, or yutman, turman, if you speak Thai, or whatever. These noises, these sounds, these... These are alluding to, these are pointing to an activity that we are performing with our attention. These concepts, these terms are alluding to an activity in consciousness. Have we developed the skills of perception to be able to recognize whatever it is that we do that creates suffering? to the point where we see through it and experience letting go. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm.